0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So, if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meats. West Chase Thomas Pod the Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate.
1: I already hate it. I
0: hate it. All right, we're back on a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, and um, I'm right a lot in this podcast. I'm right about a lot of things. The Raptors winning the finals. Kevin Durant going to the Clippers, and I've also been um, extremely correct when it comes to Yovan bua getting too big for this podcast as i had said a year plus ago that uh people would latch on to Yovon and he would grow and grow and now he's the athletic superstar and um i'm very proud Yovon. but i i hate to say i told you so but this is a good one to say it <laughs>
1: well um if that is true i'm here now so uh i, I think uh it, yeah, I'm not big enough yet, but maybe, maybe one day.
0: Um, a lot of podcasts popping <laughs> up on the athletic. Though, um, when are you getting the the Yovan yeah. NBA podcast? When are they un- unleashing that one? Are they waiting until Kevin Durant officially signs in Los Angeles before they give you the, the full <laughs> platform, or how does that work?
1: Uh, yeah, I I think well, you know, I currently have the Clip City podcast, so that is uh, that's kind of what I'm doing right now but uh, as far as the athletic that would probably be sometime in the fall. I mm. uh, probably uh, switch over and, and do a Clippers podcast with them.
0: Okay. Well, we can look out for that. Um I'm not joking about the Kevin Durant stuff and uh l- let me just say when it first got tweeted out that uh Mark Stein just had this little nugget about um Kevin Durant and the Clippers like the Clippers being a serious dangerous threat to the Knicks uh in their pursuit of Kevin Durant um I think I had a little bit of an aneurysm because uh it, it just I felt so good about it because as you know Yovan uh I've pounded this this desk with two points all season long which was the Raptors are really good and they're going to win the finals and uh Kevin Durant was going to go to the Clippers and um I I just I feel great so, so congratulations. So yeah, no,
1: like that, that's what I'm rooting for, uh, selfishly, just out of the benefits that would come from that in, in terms of just the media attention and, and kind of the spotlight on that situation. Like, I know, I know a lot of Clipper fans have tied themselves to Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I, I do think it's probably an either-or. I, I don't see... I can see the Clippers getting two stars, but I, I don't see it being the kawhi Katie combination. Uh, I think most... You know, there's been a lot of rumors and speculation about Kawhi to the Clippers. I think fans have kind of accepted that fantasy. Uh, but I, I think, look, like KD is the best, I think, clearly the best offensive player in the world, if not the best overall, and probably is the best overall player in the world. Uh, and I, I think I'd rather have him than Kawhi, you know, regardless mm. of any. I know that's maybe debatable. I go back but and forth at, on I this.
0: I it really depends. It's recency bias, but like I don't know. I don't know. If it, like I'm sure Katie could do what Ka- Kawhi doing on like one leg, basically at this point for Toronto. But I don't know. It's tough. Like I can go think wrong. They're one A, one B. Which if you're a Clippers fan, you're like, oh my god, it. We get to basically yeah, get one, it, one it's or it's like nice. one either the best player in basketball or the second best player in basketball, depending on who you ask. Like that's that's a very enviable place to be in
1: no de- definitely and, and that's i mean like, like it's it's first world problems it's rich people problems like it's it's a good problem to have and it's a problem you want to have right like you don't I mean, there's also the scenario in which neither guy comes and the, i think that is a very realistic scenario I was, I a couple of fans don't want to hear that but i don't think so
0: uh, everything's coming up clippers I, this is gonna be the summer of clippers and i just i love the timing of it because of the magic stuff and what's going on with the lakers just <laughs> Can you imagine that city? Like, out like, what do you, what do you even do if you're a Laker fan? You're like, uh, do I have to do this? Can I just can I switch over? Do do I have to watch the Lakers or can I go and uh, watch Katie and Kyrie for a full season? Like, what what do you do? Um, I just I think just the dichotomy between the two of them going into this year is gonna be. Unbelievable that the Clippers are the most well-run organization, maybe in basketball outside of the Warriors. And then you have the Lakers being what they are now. It's just um, if you're LeBron and you have to share a building with Kevin Durant in that group, I, I just an un- unbelievable. I'm I'm here for all of it.
1: No, definitely, and and I think that you know uh, what what's funny with the whole Lakers thing is that I there's still a part of me that's like if they get the guy like it doesn't really erase all the drama but it does kind of you know for them I feel like it all just kind of hinges on whether they get the guy or not
0: just because but who is the guy for them it,
1: I mean I think I, a, any of those top five uh, I don't know how realistic it is, any of them are and I would I would probably put them all as unrealistic but yeah. if they get a Kyrie if they get you know, I, I don't see Clay leaving but if they somehow got Clay if they got Kawhi who you know, it's been linked to them a little bit. Remember when he did demand that trade last summer, he put the Clippers and Lakers as as the two teams. And the Lakers actually at the time were the favorites.
0: Mm -hmm. It wasn't
1: until the the fall after he had already gone to Toronto, when the the Clippers stuff really started to pick up. So I just think like if they get that guy, it doesn't fix the mess and it, it doesn't, I still don't trust the front office to build out the rest of the roster. I mean, you, that, that said, you put Kawhi and LeBron together, Clay and LeBron, Kyrie and LeBron. That's a pretty damn good team, and, and you know, I think that automatically vaults you probably into the top four or five of the West at least. Uh, but I don't know. Like the, the the Lakers, it they've really put themselves in this corner where now it's like if they don't get the guy, there really is no defense. You know, the, everything they've been doing has just been an embarrassment, and. You know, they they kind of have no they have no backup plan really to get, to get a star or bust. And if you bust, then you look like a big joke, a bigger joke than you already look like. Uh, I, I think the Knicks are not that level because there's been not as much dysfunction with them recently. But we all know James' Owen's history and uh, kind of the Knicks' recent history, and I, I think they're in a similar situation. Actually, my hottish take is that I think the Clippers are going to be fine even if they don't get someone. Like I-, I think there's this kind of misconception that they're going all in right now and that, like, of course, if you can get a Kawhi or a KD or, or both or two stars, you're, you're going to do it. But when the Clippers you know, trade away Blake Griffin, when they trade away Tobias Harris, it was not with a quick fix in mind. Like It was with a, we're going to build this over the next few years, acquire young guys, acquire picks, acquire cap space, and kind of try to build something organically from the ground up. And, and you know, if, if a star comes along the way, then, then you know we're going to, you know, we'll sign him or we'll, we'll trade for him. But I think, you know, they've had so much success in, short, in such a short amount of uh, period of time and in terms of just kind of over-exceeding expectations that it sort of adjusted people's expectations of like, well, you know, they made the first round this year so they have to be better next year, right? They have to make the, the second round. so It's like that, that success and progress isn't always linear, so I, I do think that for the, the Clippers' sake, you know, there is a lot of buzz and attention and hype on, on them getting a guy. While I would say there's probably a good odds they get someone, I don't know how, you know, I don't know where I would cap that percentage-wise. And I just I, I think in the plan B that they don't get someone, uh, I think they still have a bright future and they still have a lot of assets and might not be as quickly as people want. But either way, I think they're they heading in the right direction,
0: and part of that has to do with the fact that um, they were able to keep their front office guys. You saw Langdon go to New Orleans and leave Brooklyn for the GM job, but um, there was a lot of interest in their front office. Um, it's not just Lawrence Frank; they they have the guy from the Thunder. They have the guy um, who was the other one they pulled, who has been uh, a staple. It, there's there's two guys, and they're both going to be there. Uh,
1: Michael Winger. Winger. the one from from the thunder and right. Cleveland uh then you have Trent Reddin, who's also Redden. from Cleveland and then you mm-hmm. have Mark Hughes who came from New York
0: there you go um and they're able to keep all of them so like getting those guys to stay on board because there was real interest in pulling them um this off season and keeping Jerry West for another year like having him in the room this summer I think uh is huge um were you surprised at all that Jerry West signed back up for one more year with the Clippers
1: no, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, I think the other two deciding to stay kind of... I mean, looking at maybe, reading the feelings here, like, maybe they all have an inclination that they're about to land some someone big, and they want to be a part of that. Um, I, I think, you know, that you can't rule that out. Uh, I just... I, I think Jerry... You know, like uh, the, the Jerry dynamic is really interesting because I think people are very quick to give him all the credit when, you know, he really is, if anything, more of like a consultant advisor. Like he's not, he's not the president of basketball operations. He's not the GM. He's not boots on the ground every day. Um, so like a lot of the day to day like more important stuff isn't really handled by him. But he is consulted on everything. He is a part of the decision making process in every decision, whether that's a trade and a signing, drafting, whatever. So like his fingerprints are on everything. Um, so like I, it's just weird because you know people, every time I you know do an interview or something about it, everyone's always asking Jerry, Jerry, and it's weird because like I feel like sometimes people give him too much credit, but at the same time, you're like, look at everywhere this guy has been. The situation has dramatically gotten better. Even if in this situation in particular he's not as much uh, of a central part of it as I think some people might think, you can't deny that you know, you, you do see his fingerprints on some stuff. Like I, I think the Blake Griffin trade and the Tobias Harris trade; those are the type of ruthless, calculated deals that Jerry West has made throughout his tenure as a front office executive, and just not being tied to um, you know, the, the emotional side of it. And, really being about what's best for the team, what's best for the organization in the short term and long term. And I think that's always how he's kind of approached things. And you saw him, you know, obviously kind of steer the ship with those, you know, the Lakers for 20 years, then taking over in Memphis, t- took that team from a laughing stock to, to a perennial playoff team, turned Golden State into a champion, and then now what he's doing with the Clippers, uh, looking, you know, like they're potentially going to get uh, Someone in I agency. Th- I really think Jerry's biggest value is just the name of Jerry, the the cachet of Jerry, the, the gravitas. Where you know you put him in a meeting with a Kawhi Leonard or a Kevin Durant, you know it's it's the damn logo. Like you know everywhere you can see the NBA logo, that's Jerry West. Um, and I think that he's almost like the boogeyman at this point, where he just has this overwhelming like presence and perception of of how good he is as a front office executive that. It really only plays into the Clippers' favor.
0: Yeah, and um, with him, especially, like you said, it's it's funny. Like with these consultants, where it's just they get um, the benefit of the doubt. But maybe it's that they assume he's the final decision maker. Who is outside of Steve Ballmer? Who it always comes down to the owner and whether or not they're on board. But like, if it's not Ballmer, who's who is the primary decision maker? Is it Lawrence Frank?
1: It's it's Lawrence Frank. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it all it all stems through Lawrence.
0: Okay, and he's not someone who gets any credit. Like you never hear anybody like Lawrence Frank's done a great job in Los Angeles. Like I don't think that sentence yeah. has ever been uttered.
1: He definitely has, uh, I, and that, that's why part of me, you know, like, likes to kind of bring up that you know fact just because I think he he and the rest of the front office, you know, winger two, like you know, if you look at the situations he came from. Uh, you know, being in Cleveland while LeBron was there uh, the the first time and then going to OKC with Russ and KD and that situation. Like, everywhere he's been, he's won. He's had success. Um, And, and, you know, those teams, uh, you know, especially in OKC, made a lot of smart cap decisions and and moves. Like, obviously, obviously not the James Harden trade, but really outside. I mean, if you look at OKC's history, outside of that glaring misstep, like, OKC did do a lot of smart things with the cap, got a lot of guys on bargain deals, uh you, you know, in the first half of that kind of you know, run. So I, I think, you know, he he's done a lot of good stuff. Uh and, and look, yeah, I think the proof is in the pudding in terms of, you know, other teams, they were the first pretty much the first names to pop up when when the New Orleans situation happened with Griffin, uh and then the Minnesota opening happened. Like Winger and Redden were two of uh, you know two of the first names to pop up. So mm. I think that really shows that the league is taking notice of what the Clippers are doing in the front office and they, they want some of that. They they want some of that success. They want some of that whatever's going on. So I think really this is like and, and I think that's that's the biggest thing that I've noticed the the difference wise with with these Clippers versus even the Lob City era was the Lob City era was really player driven. It was you know they kind of were so bad that they ended up lucking into the first pick, got Blake Griffin. Uh, they did draft DeAndre. I mean, they, they did draft well. You got like uh, identifying DeAndre Jordan as a second round pick, uh, getting Eric Gordon, getting Eric Bledsoe. Like they did have some pretty good picks in that in that you know range, and that goes to Neil Olshay. Uh, but really, that was a more player driven situation where you know they had the assets to trade for Chris Paul. That they, they already had Blake and DJ. And the Lob City era really was around the players, and then eventually that got, that got them docked. But this last couple of years, like these two uh, back-to-back years with, with these runs that they've had, you know, the first year they they're basically a, a G League roster. Half the team spent time at the G League. They're rotating guys, two-way guys. It was really like Lou Williams and Blake the, f- the first half of the season, and Lou Williams and Tobias Harris the second half of the season. That was it. You know, they they had a Terrible injury luck. Pat was out for the season. Avery got there, got injured. Gallo was out for the season. Like they're they decimated and they almost made the playoffs. They're in the playoffs until the, the game 80 of the regular season. Uh, and then this season, obviously making the playoffs, pushing the Warriors to six. Like I think, you know, for as much of that is about the play, the players of the culture that they've cultivated. It's as much about Steve Ballmer and the front office and the job they've done identifying, talent and, and getting guys like like look at those bargain deals now for, for Lou Williams and, and Montrez Harrell. Lou Williams is going to win his third sixth man of the year award. He he signed for three years twenty four million on an extension. Uh, Trez two years twelve million. Like if, if Trez was on the open market, he'd probably get twelve to fifteen million uh a year this summer. So I just think you know the, the deals they've been able to strike with guys, the the extensions, the just the the drafting of Shea the trading for Landry, like they, they've just made smart move after smart move. And I think really it, it's been an organizational thing more than, than just the on court talent.
0: Do you think all the role players are back? Do they bring back Shamit, Pat Bev? I mean, it lose there, Harold, like they Gallo is an interesting one. Um, is this, group? Uh, is, are they all back?
1: So they, I mean, they, they do have a lot of free agents, the only six guys penciled in to be back next season are the three rookies, Shea Landry and Jerome, Mm -hmm. and then Trez Gallo and Lou. Uh, I do think they're going to trade Gallo around the trade deadline. I mean, not the trade that around the draft and or kind of the start of free agency. I think they're going to trade him into a team with cap space that probably doesn't think they could get a max free agent because remember there's, they the, the might end up being like eight to nine max guys this summer, uh, mm. and which will include like one or two guys who probably shouldn't get the max, but that's just how these things work. But there's about, I think there's 14 teams with like 20 or more million in cap space, like 16, 17 with like 15 or more. So there's going to be a lot of money this summer. And I, I think if you're kind of on the outside looking in of that equation, uh, maybe a team
0: like a Utah, Utah. a Utah team makes, like, like that... If- if Utah yeah, has to pick Utah between Tobias of- and Gallo, which a lot of juicy irony there, um, who would you be yeah. more comfortable <laughs> investing in, Tobias or Gallo?
1: I mean, it's it's tough because I'm I would maybe just say Gallo because he has one Gallo year left on the and just kind of roll the dice and see like where does this go? Because then then I I think if you're if you a Utah and you sign Tobias. He's gonna to have to either max him out or get close to the max, and then you're really committing to Donovan Mitchell, Tobias Harris, and Rudy Gobert. I just
0: don't know. Right. I think and then you Tobias can't get Conley, I think yeah, they're gonna revisit that stuff. So it's like they they have a big. Yeah, has got an interesting summer ahead of them. Yeah,
1: I think so. I think going back to it, I think they're gonna trade Gallo. I'm kind of getting the feeling Pat's gonna be gone. I, I think. I think they're going to try to resign Pat Jermichael Green. And at least the Zubats is almost a lock to, to come back because he's going to be a restricted free agent. And I, I think he had a bad playoffs. I think his stock dropped after that. I don't really see him getting a, a big enough offer that they would refuse. Uh, so I expect him to be retained. And, and then outside of that, it's just Pat and Jermichael Green. I think they're going to try to keep both guys. But I think both guys stepped up in the postseason played really well against the Warriors. Uh, you know, Jermichael came in as a small ball five and was thriving. Uh, this is the first year he really shot the ball well from, from three. And I think a, a three and D, four or five is just kind of, you know, they're not as rare as they were maybe a few years ago, but they they still are kind of rare and, and they're pretty valuable. So it wouldn't surprise me if some team threw like ten eleven million 11 million at Jermichael Green, uh, at oh, which point I don't think no, the thanks. Clippers... <laughs> I, I, so like if some team throws in like a two year twenty two million, I, I don't see the Clippers getting close to that. Yeah. Uh, Pat is the one where you might see them. You know, if he if he stays there, you might just see a, a kind of ridiculous overpay to keep him. Like uh, a KCP now a one year deal, like a
0: one year twenty mil kind of deal. Yeah,
1: maybe. Well, that that would be tough just because of the, the cap gymnastics with with the max guy uh but I, I could like i i could see it uh, similar to to what Jami's got like you know a two two twenty five for pat or or something, something like that where you know i don't i don't see him signing a one year deal because the the one thing with Pat that i think has been under like he, pat's not really got paid if you i mean and it's funny is like he's made like thirty million throughout his NBA career uh, which is, you know, "quote unquote" not getting paid by NBA I was standards. Say that seems like
0: low Pat, for how long he's been and like how many good teams yeah, Pat, he's been on. Pat, everything, yeah.
1: Pat's a seven a seven year vet, and he's never really cashed out. So to me, I think all the signs he's showing right now with, with, with his cryptic social media stuff and him going on the jump and being like, I, "I'm going to enjoy being a free agent," like
0: I think Pat. is... is as Didn't he follow Doncic education. or something? Did I did I mis- yeah, remember that? He
1: tweeted at Doncic. They okay. followed each other because Mark Stein reported that um, that Dallas was uh, interested in Pat Beverly, and then right. a report came out that Chicago was interested in Pat Beverly.
0: That Pat one I Beverly don't understand, a of, but uh, I guess just about he's from Chicago. Chicago. Is that all it is? Yeah, so
1: I, I think Pat's gonna enjoy his residency, which means get paid.
0: I <laughs> uh, think he's he's gonna cash
1: out and. I think for the Clippers, it's going to be a big blow, uh, and I, I know it's 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 like weird to say that, especially if they get a Kawhi or a KD that will elevate them to a different level. But Pat really was the glue guy in the locker room. Uh, you know, he, him and Lou were kind of in tandem this season. It was kind of a fire and ice thing where Pat was the fire, and Lou was kind of the cool, calm set. Who you know, Pat would lash out, and, and then Lou would kind of, you know, uh, just kind of. It was almost like a Derek, Derek Fisher Kobe back in the day type situation where where who was in that Fisher role, but I I just, I just think for the Clippers like they got to figure out what their prices are. Pat, I would guess it's in the eight to ten million range. If it goes any bit like higher than that, I just don't know if he can afford. Like I don't know if it's worth paying him that much. But he was so important to the locker room, to the culture, to this team. You know, having the type of blue-collar, like, hard nose mentality that they had all season. Uh, you know, the first team in NBA history to have three comebacks of 25-plus, like, that was because of Pat Because No matter what the score said, no matter how much time was left, he always believed that they could come back, that they could win. And it sounds a little corny. It sounds like a sports movie. But, like, that's really the way he operates. And it rubbed off on his teammates. And I think, you know, I, I don't know what – put the price on uh, chemistry and locker room culture but I do think Pat was a huge part of that and I could you know I almost could see it being like a a Trevor Ariza type loss for them Mm. you know in terms of like how when Ariza left the Rockets Uh, now he wasn't now you know different players different different teams teams at different stages of their competitiveness obviously the, the Rockets were trying to contend and compete but I think I could see it's a bad type of loss for them too. And he's by far their, their best perimeter defender. I know he got, uh, I don't know if he got smoked today because it, there's only four guards that can make it. And like, I think he, if he made it, it would have been good. But if he didn't make it, like it's hard to say he's a better defender than any of the four guys who made it above him on the all defense team. But um, like, look, I, I think, so I, I think kind of to, to bring this back, like uh, Gallo most likely be traded, um, and then well, if Gallo gets traded, for, like that, for sure signals that they think they're getting at least one guy. Uh, because even if they don't trade Gallo, they could still sign a the guy. They'll have enough cap space. They don't need to move him. The really only way they need to move Gallo is to get two guys. So who knows? Maybe that also means that they're, they're getting two guys if they're moving him. But uh, if they move Gallo, that's a pretty clear sign they think they're getting at least one. Uh, and then I think they're going to try and keep Pat and Michael. I just don't know financially if they're going to be able to, and at what cost. Because really, if you look at what this team needs, they need multiple big wings. They don't have a lot of guys in that six six to six eight range that you see, you know, all all kind of all the teams in the conference finals had, uh, especially the Warriors, Bucks, and Raptors. So yeah, I think that's really the way the NBA has gone. The Clippers have a pretty undersized, uh, you know, perimeter group, and I, I think. Bringing in a KD or Kawhi as your primary guy and then bringing in a guy off the bench I think would really solve that. So I think their focus this summer is going to be adding more perimeter size and shooting.
0: So can I interest you in a Torian Prince? Um, It sounds like you need (laughs) more Harrison Barnes. Jerry Jerry West needs to get another Harrison Barnes in there. Um, So you can have that. I would actually sign up for Gallo in Atlanta. Um, I think that'd be really fun. Um, He'd actually fit really well uh, for this offense and adding some shooters so it can actually do stuff but i don't know if the hawks would do that but the hawks have a lot of cap space and they have to spend it on somebody and um i don't think it'd be a bad idea to spend a lot of money on gallo because this team's gonna be in the playoffs anyway next year and if you get gallo then you're definitely and you might be like a six or seven seed. but um yeah there's that and then pat bev is uh both a soldier on the floor and off the floor because pat beverly like you said he just he he doesn't never say die he is someone that um just plays a certain way the chip on his shoulder is strong and it it permeates throughout the locker room but it's also when he's doing post game uh speaking to kevin durant who um according to my notes uh listens to what the media says and he had to have seen that he had to have seen what pat bev and lou williams were saying in that press conference and just marveling at like how do we, how are we supposed to defend this guy? And like, it's like the perfect role player thing to say to somebody, like to get a star's attention to be like, we, dude, we are in awe of your greatness. We would like, we don't even know what to do with you on the offensive side of the floor and everything else. Like, you're just, you're unbeatable, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, when I saw that, and I was like, I want to believe Pat Bev knew what he was doing there, where he's like, I know Katie's watching this, and Lou knows that Katie's watching this, and they're just going to talk him up. And just be like, what are we supposed to do? What? How would you defend Kevin Durant? Like, that's the that might be the best recruiting strategy of any like anything that a player can actually do is just be like openly in front of the media, being like, Katie's incredible. Like, what do you even do? Like, what okay. an underappreciated star.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, especially for him of all people, like like you're saying, like he, I mean, we've seen what he, he said now, the back and forth with, with Chris Broussard and. Uh, you know, I think that type of stuff matters. I mean, look, there's some breadcrumbs there. Uh, you know, Ke- uh, Steve Ballmer was at a Nike conference earlier, you know, the, the guest speaker at a Nike conference earlier this season, uh, that that was reported by the athletics Sam Amick, um, and in attendance were a lot of Kevin Durant's people, uh, in, you know, I, I think that there's some obvious ties there. Like he, he went on Steve Ballmer, went on Kevin Durant's. Show, uh, the boardroom on ESPN. And on top of that, like every time the Clippers played the Warriors, KD was heaping praise after praise uh, on the the Clippers young guys. Um, You know, Shea Gilders Alexander, when he went on the Bill Simmons podcast and and said he was the young guy in the league who had impressed him the most this season. And that was like, uh, I think in like around December. Uh, Then when they played Landry Shamit, he went out of his way to. Uh, like the the regular season finale uh, at Oracle, he went out of his way to praise Landry and was like, this guy's going to be a special player. He's a special shooter. Uh, And, and KD actually, that was kind of a preview of how the Warriors were going to defend Landry in the playoffs because they, you know, he torched them in the first half. I think he had like 15, 17, get a few threes. And then they just put Kevin Durant on him and told KD like, don't leave him. Just keep Landry out of the, like every action, just stick with him do not let this guy get a shot. I think Landry got like two shots up uh, in the second half and and didn't score. And that was mainly just because Kevin Durant dug into him. And and that's kind of how the Warriors defended him in the playoffs. So uh, there are some breadcrumbs. And and then I wrote about, um, you know, this really interesting scene uh, during the, the, uh, it was before game two uh, of the Clippers Warriors series where, you know, there's kind of this power circle on the court where you had, he, uh, you you had Lawrence Frank, uh, who's obviously president of basketball operations, talking to Bob Myers, the, the Warriors president of basketball operations. Uh, and th- those two were talking. Then all of a sudden, Steve Ballmer walks up, which my ears perk up a little bit. There's three of them there. Then you have Rich Kleinman come into the mix. And that was super interesting to me because you have on one side the, the team, you know, the incumbent who wants to keep KD, Who's won two titles with him? Probably going to win a third, uh, but there's all the speculation that he's leaving, and you know Bob Myers, of course, wants him to stay. Then on the other side, you have one of the primary rivals that's going to be going after KD, and, and you know they're all making nice uh, in front of his, his manager, but like, there's just some weird dynamics there because you just don't know what he's going to do. Like, uh, like as Rich said yesterday at, at that, um, at whatever event he was at, where he's like you know kevin durant's 100 percent undecided as of right now um i don't know how much you know i i personally think he's going to new york but i hope i'm wrong and he ends up with, with the clippers uh but then after that rich left that that little power circle and went started talking to people on the clippers bench saying hi to people i guess he knew and bob myers no later than a minute later beelined over left the circle and put his arm around rich and was just kind of buddy budding him in front of the clippers and to me it looked like a a boyfriend or a girlfriend at a party kind of going up to their significant other seeing their significant other talking to someone else that they don't know or recognize whatever and just coming kind of putting their arm around to kind of claim the territory and it just came off to me very jealous very territorial Mm. and I, i wrote about that um in a, in a kevin durant story i wrote during the playoffs but i just think it's interesting it, it, there's a lot of bread comes there you know maybe we always read into this stuff too much in the media but you know it also is right in front of us in, until it happens right like you know like if if the if like if the bucks win the title this season which I, I don't think they're going to but if the bucks win the title there's gonna be a lot of well who saw this coming blah 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 What's they staring at us in the face. They they had, you know, uh, the top 25 regular season. They started the playoffs 10 and one. Like the Bucks have been great all season. It kind of is lo- like they've been the best team all season. It would be logical for them to win a title. We don't really believe it because, we, you know, the Warriors are such heavy favorites. So sometimes these things are right in front of our face and we just kind of don't buy into it, don't believe it. Uh, so who knows? Uh, I mean, I hope you're right. I hope Kevin Durant comes to the Clippers for my sake but uh who knows we we'll, we'll see how it plays out in uh, in like a short month i can't wait
0: well, that's enough Clippers. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I just so I don't well. have anybody else to talk about the Clippers with because I'm very <laughs> excited for this offseason. So you and I share our Clippers. Um, they're, they're my West Coast team, the Western Conference team for me. So um, we'll get back to them once Katie and or Kawhi go there. So uh, it's going to be a fun summer for us, Yovan. Um, The New Orleans Pelicans, who are suddenly competent. We were wondering whether or not... They were going to figure this out, and we've made all these jokes about the Benson situation and Mickey Loomis being involved in basketball ops and all this stuff. And um, now they have Langdon. They have David Griffin. They're building a real front office. And you're like, okay, you win the the lottery, which was insane. And now you're getting Zion. And it's like, okay, now what do we do? And um, AD is still going to get traded i still think they have to trade him and i think gail benson not um willing to um even talk with the lakers is stupid especially considering um who you're dealing with where i i look at things um especially in the nba now where it just seems like every team almost has a good gm who you'd be afraid of doing business with and then there are the lakers there's the knicks there's a couple teams that you still are like let me call them. What kind of dumb shit would they do? Like, the Pistons, I think, are in that category. Like, there's just a couple teams left that just still have, like, not Billy King-esque like, bad GMs, but just a bad front office where you're like, okay, I think I can talk this owner into something stupid. And I, I just... If you can get a lot out of them, if you can get Ingram, Kuzma, Ball, whatever, like, I think... The thing about the Pelicans, if you look at their roster, and it's it's amazing to me how many guys are just off the books after this year. And if you move AD, it's Zion Solomon Hill on the last year. I think is his contract might actually be up, but um, they actually have a decent amount of cap room, middle of the road in the NBA. But they literally have zero young pieces, zero. Like there's nobody to build around. There's nothing. They like Dell Dimps gutted that team. They drafted poorly. They gave up a lot of picks. They just made mistake after mistake after mistake. And I'm like I. I Zion's not enough, so it's like it, Gail Benson does not need to be closing the doors off any type of deal with any team in the NBA, and that kind of pettiness is just stupid to me. But um, I don't know, like you have to trade AD because like there's just not enough bodies on this group, and there's no one else to really build around um, because of just how gutted this team is. It's it's terrifying, and that's why I, I would consider trading Drew Holiday too, where they're like, oh, he's just a great culture guy. All that, oh, that might be great, but this team is just in such a in a different state where like they literally have nothing else other than this pick it's this pick and that's it like they have uh, sure julius randall's fine I, I just they have nothing else so I, I i don't know I would you trade them both or would you just trade ad or what would you do if you're david griffin this summer oh
1: it is a loaded question i mean i i, I think I think you're gonna you you do have some time with the AD situation, um, like you know you you I think that there's got to be an order of operations here where number one you see if AD is willing to stay. I, I think that is your like e- even if it means. And I'm acknowledging the fact that that could just simply mean he stays one year and walks, and you lose him for nothing. There's no I, I think, way he's
0: back. There's no way they let him back in after all. No. Of that so shit. I'm I'm, I'm saying like I I so I'm, I'm
1: I'm saying with the caveat that like that is very unlikely. I, yeah. I don't. I would I would I would put it above zero, but I would put it close. Like I would not put it above like ten percent. So somewhere in the single digit percent to up to 10 uh i think if there's any avenue to him believing that there's a, you know or some type of you know I, I would ideally i think you look to keep him and try to swing another deal maybe that's moving drew maybe you know maybe that's you know dumping something with with future assets to kind of get cap space or to get another you know another unwanted contract that and who knows, maybe you can trade for uh I don't know off the top of my head, but like a another not great contract that like is a better that is an upgrade over your current wing situation. And maybe that, you know, you can just pitch like, hey, we just got this upgrade, we got Zion, like give this a chance for one year. If you want to leave after a year, you know, go ahead, walk in trade and see. But you know, you're too important to us to just give up on. and and move on because I mean look like I think for both guys like AD and Zion is like the perfect four or five combination and you know you you could debate on who's the four who's the five but like I mean AD is definitely perfect for Zion that's the exact type of big man you'd want for for a guy like Zion but I think Zion is a great fit for AD too and uh, I just think to have that type of um, you know special four or five pairing that we really haven't seen since I guess Duncan Robinson, um, you know, I, there was AD Cousins, but like that, that was pretty short lived, and um, you know, it wasn't as great of a, as clean and as great of a fit as it probably could have been. But I think AD Zion, you know, it's two blue chip number one guys, like that. That would be a special pairing. So I think if there's any scenario in which you can keep those two, you, you go through that. Now, assuming you can't, and it quickly came out after the the draft lottery that AD still wanted to leave. I think you got to see how the Boston situation plays out. I think you hope Kyrie stays in Boston. I still think Boston can offer the most stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, Now I don't, I mean, for me, uh, if I'm the Pelicans, I demand Brown Tatum and the Grizzlies pick. I doubt Boston's willing to give up all three. I I assume they're going to not even want to give up two of the three, but I think you kind of have to for AD. Uh, If not, I I think, I don't know. it's, It's tough. I mean, I honestly think the the you know not to bring the Clippers back into this, but I, I do think they're the sleeper one of the sleeper teams in the eighty sweepstakes. I think if you look at their best possible package, which would be something like Shea Landry Shamit, their Miami pick, which actually now looks more valuable after the way the draft lottery played out. Because I was looking at I was looking like a pick that could maybe be in like the eight to twelve range uh, with, with where Miami looks like they're going to be in a couple years. But if, if with the way the lottery is playing out now. That could easily be a top five pick. That could be a top three pick. Like, who who knows? Uh, so I, I think, you know, you bring in the Miami pick, you bring in the Phillies pick, they have their own future picks. You could, a guy like Trez for $6 million. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, You know, you, you could put Lewin, you could put Gallo. Like, I think they have, because the, the one thing, I don't know if you saw this video, but when David Griffin was doing NBA TV and this whole AD thing was going on, they, they were going around on, on the round table, like, you know, what would you want for A D? What would your A D package be? And David Griffin said, I'd want a veteran, a good veteran who can help keep us competitive, which I I kind of disagree with the whole premise of staying competitive and trade A D, but whatever. Um like a you know, a good veteran who could help our guys, you know, set the example, set the tone for our guys. Uh a, a good young player, a young player to grow with our draft pick and just to kind of help start the rebuild, and then a really good pick. Well, look at all the suitors out there. The, the Clippers are, are kind of on the short list of of teams that can do that. They have the good veteran in Gallo or Lou. They have multiple young guys, Shea, Landry, Trez, and probably two of those three. And then they have uh, you know, the, the Miami pick. Philly pick who knows look Jimmy Butler and Tobias can both walk this summer at which point if you only have and JJ Redick if you only have Joel and Tobias I mean Joel and Ben Simmons like that's a good foundation but I think you drop a a little bit in the playoff uh standing so maybe that's like an early 20s pick and who knows like so I just think I think the Clippers can get into it I'm not as high on the Lakers package as some people uh are I and I I do think there is something there with the Pelicans, bad blood, and then the Knicks. I'm also very low on the Knicks package. I I just I don't really like the Knicks young guys. Uh, I think their best young prospect is Mitchell Robinson, which is saying something that you know a second round pick is is your best. You you know, and he might just end up being an elite backup center. I I don't really know what his future is going to be. So to me, it's probably the the Celtics. uh, The the Clippers and then if the Clippers aren't willing to give up Shea I'd probably go to the Lakers and the Knicks but I don't know they're, they're in a tough spot and, and I, I think it, it we could end up be, you know talking in a month or two about this trade and just being in shock of the the little that that team had to give up I to get agree AD.
0: yeah because I think what we're going to look back on is that uh, <laughs> maybe this is a hot take but I I really do think that we're going to look back and go Oh my God, the Lakers, what they offered at the deadline is better than what the Pelicans ended up getting. I think there's even less leverage here, and I think it might actually be worse, especially if the Celtics are out. If the Celtics are out of the game and they lose Kyrie and they don't get involved in the AD stuff, whew, I just, like, I, I don't know. Like you said, the Clippers can step in, but I think they're, that will be a different kind of deal, Um, and we'll, a lot of other stuff will have to happen first, but, like, um, I, I don't know. I think it could get murky quickly and just like oh we still got to get him out of here but there's just not a lot of great options and um the Knicks stuff was just basically if they had the number one pick that was like the package is Zion that was their package and uh we'll throw in some other filler like Kevin Knox and stuff but um I'm right there with you not being high on Nilakina, Knox, Robinson's fine but yeah not not a lot to get super excited about hey Manuel Moutier NBA player now so that's great um I don't know, man. I, I think they're they might be screwed. I wish Portland had the package to do it. That's that's what I really wish. Um but they don't. And Nurkic and I know Friend of the Pod, uh David Thorpe pitched something about this, but I I just I, I don't think Nurkic and Zach Collins and fillers is is enough.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he he'd be great for <laughs> Portland. Uh, I think like, okay, so what, cause I actually, so I, I'm gonna, I, I'm actually revising my, um, Clippers take a little bit because I, I will like, while I do think they can offer potentially at their best possible offer, the, the second best offer, I, you know, from everything I've heard and, and just from what it seems like, they're not going to deal Shay. Uh, and and they kind of view Shea as in close to an untouchable as possible. So, um, you know, obviously, if like Giannis was available, I'm sure they would probably include him. But, like, I, I think, you know, AD and, and the way the situation has played out, I, I don't – because also, I mean, you, you, the AD situation is so, it's so tough because, like, even if you're the Knicks, unless you get someone – if, if you're the Knicks, right, unless you get someone in free agency, what's the point of training for AD? Like, yes you know that gives you your first star but AD is not going to be happy in New York like if you just put AD on this Knicks team they're what a 35-1 team like in the east maybe they're the 8 seed but like it's a pretty trash roster to to be quite honest like it's not a you know there's not much there so if you're the Knicks and you get KD you get Kyrie you get Jimmy whatever you get that first piece then okay i could see like the AD trade making sense but if you're the Knicks and just trade for ad and don't get anybody, he could easily walk next summer. you know I, I don't see it as a foregone conclusion he stays in New York if he goes there. Uh, the, the clippers can run up into the same thing. like if, if you're the clippers and you trade I don't know Gallo Trez and, and Shea, or Gallo Trez, and Landy Shamit, like you're decimating three of your best five or six guys at which point you're almost recreating the New Orleans situation where you're like a six to eight seed. With Anthony Davis, and you know maybe he just stays because it's L.A., but like there's no guarantee. Like that's why the Lakers, the the Celtics, potentially if Kyrie stays, like those teams already have the foundation star. They have some depth. I could see them being okay if they get AD. Uh, but uh, like you you got to really have that fine balance and, and confidence in the rest of your roster because if you think you're just going to give up all your stuff and, and trade for AD and then just have, you know, a 41 team with him, I don't think that necessarily means he's going to stay. Like when we saw what happened with Paul George, we'll see what happens with Kawhi, like, you know, maybe we'll have two instances in which that that gamble worked, but I just you know, AD keeps talking about legacy and championships and competing and he's kind of in that Kevin Garnett mode where he's frustrated with the state of the franchise and he wants a, a taste of success and something new and I don't know if decimating all your assets to get him is going to necessarily provide a a better situation. I might just be recreating the same thing.
0: All right. Well, let's wrap up with uh, Tim Connolly, who is from Baltimore. I don't know if you, you saw this, uh, but he's from the DC area and he met with the wizards and Leonis and they laid out their vision for the team and all this stuff and finding different kind of money laundering schemes to get off the John Wall contract. But, um, he he elected to stay in denver and finish what he started uh were you at all surprised that he did not go back home and take um the washington job because i i thought it was i think it's a good job i think uh more than anything you know you're going to be there a long time and maybe um he's got some sort of um agreement with uh denver and obviously with this team being very good at basketball now and um, being very close to the Western conference finals and everything that he's, if you're going to be there for the next couple of years, you have job security anyway, but um, were you at all surprised he spurned the wizards uh, to remain in Denver?
1: Uh, not really. I I, I do think, and I I, I promise uh, I'm not trying to bring the Clippers into every situation (laughs) But I think, like looking at like you know Winger's decision to stay with the Clippers, while I do think that was in large part about the future of the Clippers. I also, I feel like you, you got to look at the situation he was going to be walking into in Minnesota and like what's going on there, right? Like what you know, outside of towns, it's not a very attractive situation. Like you're not you're not a destination for free agents. Uh, that Andrew Wiggins contract is going to be an anchor on their cap. And they don't really have a lot of young talent outside of that, like, you know, Sarich Covington, but like, it's just not a, I really don't think it's a great situation to be stepping into. And I think what we've learned over these last few years, is, I think a lot of the way guys get judged is really the step, the situation they step into. And then, you know, context doesn't always matter. It's, it's almost, you know, very results based and, you know, you can kind of give yourself a leg up in the process. If you go to a better situation, like imagine if Steve Kerr had taken the Knicks job over the Warriors job, Steve Kerr probably would have been fired after two seasons. He'd be back doing TNT and we'd all, you know, be, be a 2nd he you'd be an afterthought as far as a a coach and, and, you know, probably be out of the league for who knows, maybe he would have gotten a second chance with, with the Lakers or, or whatever. But Uh, like Steve Kerr probably would not be a coach right now had he taken the Knicks job, but he took the Warriors job and he took, and now look what's happened. So going back to Conley, like I just think looking at the Washington situation, that's gotta be one of the more dire situations in the league right now. And it's, it's kind of weird to say that because of Bradley Beal, but that John Wall contract is the worst contract in the league. And, you know, to the point where he's going to be taking over 40% of your cap space for multiple years and really limiting your ability to to add another significant piece, you are really com- you're going pot committed to that John Wall Bradley Beal um, you know combo, and they've not shown that he get past the second round, and they can't they haven't shown they can get to the second round consistently. So I- I'm just looking at that like, you know, they're, they're probably destined to having to trade Bradley Beal and restart and rebuild, but you're still gonna have John Wall there, and I don't think he's gonna be you know, happy about being on like a, a 20 win team with a bunch of young guys, whereas no one's going to take his contract anyway. So like, you're not really going to get rid of him. So I just think look like, you know, I get the whole hometown thing returning. Like it makes a lot of sense, but Denver is very well set up. I I think they were really close to being in the conference finals. I I thought they were the better team than than Portland all season. Obviously the the record bore that out, but also even in the series, I, I thought they, they were the better team for the seven games. Portland ended up just winning game seven. So uh, I I think Denver is going to be a conference finals uh, threat for the next few years, at least. I think they're another piece away. And who knows, maybe that's Michael Porter Jr. from being a a real threat to potentially get out of the West. And I I just think, look, look, I think a lot of it is just the the situation you're in. And and to me, Denver is a much, much better situation than Washington.
0: I guess I would just rather not be a Western conference GM if I don't have to be right. That's like my true. whole thing That's is like, true. if I could be in the East and know that I'm going to a situation where it's a good practice facility, we know they're going to spend, you at least have some stars already on the roster. Like what? I, I don't know. I, I think it's always better to be at Eastern conference GM right now than a Western conference GM, um, especially in a post LeBron East. But um. I'm not surprised, I guess, in the sense that it is a better basketball thing. But like, what is what can they get to? Is there another level? Is can they really get to that point where they're going to win the West with that group? Um, Like the Washington, even with the Wall contract, there's still a lot more possibilities. And with the right GM there, maybe it's Troy Weaver, and he has the history with Scott Brooks and all that kind of stuff. They can write the ship there, but. I I don't know. I, I think there is more to do there. Like, I think it really just depends on, like you said, Michael Porter Jr., what he does, but it's not a free agent destination. They're not going to get, like, some big namer. They're going to probably re-sign Millsap. They're going to run it back with this group. Um, But it really just depends on what Gary Harris is. Like, we know Jamal Murray's going to be streaky, hot, cold, probably an all-star. Um, Jokic is amazing, but um, he can't be your best player on a team that's going to go to the finals, especially in the West. So it's like... It's gotta be Harris. And that's been my whole thing. And like, I always think back to the, the Chris Herring piece of 538 about like, could he be the next Kawhi? Like, if he gets to a superstar level that it's, uh, then yes, the Nuggets can win it all. If he doesn't, then they'll be a really good team for several years and never make it through with kind of like the George Carl Nuggets from the, the mid 2000. So I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I think him staying, um, is not a bad move i don't think he could have gone wrong either way but if i was in his shoes i would have taken the the wizard's job
1: i i, I like to take I, I think there's something there um i, I think i'm just where where we, we I, I think that the i wouldn't even say disagreement but the the difference in opinion is just comes in i'm Surprisingly high on Denver after this postseason. Maybe there's some recency bias, but I just was really surprised with Nikola Jokic's ability to not only sustain his play but really improve it. I was I was very concerned. Like I was very close to picking Denver. I picked Denver in seven over San Antonio. I was very close to picking San Antonio, and the the main reason being I just didn't trust Nikola Jokic. And you know the the way he played in that series, the way he played against Portland. Uh, eventually kinda of ran out of gas and needs to work on his conditioning. But I, I was very surprised with him and I think, you know, he's only gonna get better. He, he's still really young. And if you know, if he's gonna get better from this, like I, I just think he is that type of foundational, like top five guy in the conference that can really swing things. Uh and, and the East, like I you know, I think the East is very wide open, especially outside of like the top four or five teams and if Washington can can somehow figure things out, they could right be right back in the mix soon. But I'm just very low on, on their cap situation. I, I kind of think they're screwed for like three to four years. And I, I just don't really see, you know, look, even their pick, like they, they could have ended up with a top four pick. They ended up with the ninth pick. Like they, they just have not been able to catch a break lately. And uh, I, I just think I would not want to be, I mean, who knows, maybe you you have a Sean Mark situation and you're able to kind of spin you know a negative situation into something positive quickly or relatively quickly. But uh, I, I'd be very skeptical of being able to turn that
0: situation around. Okay, fair enough. Yovan, thank you, as always, for making the time, man. The athletic superstar, Yovan Bua. Per- perhaps his <laughs> last I appearance I always on got the
1: podcast. To this podcast. Hmm? I always got time for you.
0: Okay, I appreciate that. Um, Jovan, is there anything we need to look out from you this week before we get out of here?
1: Ah, uh, I just wrote about Shea Gilgis
0: Alexander getting
1: snubbed from the All Rookie First Team. Uh, I think that wait, he can I ask you real quick about team.
0: that? Because I, I saw yeah. that and I wanted to ask you. Um, how many GMs do you think would take Shea over Trey Young?
1: Uh.
0: Pff. If they had to bet on a career. I mean, I, I, I would
1: say like five at most, but I'd be surprised if it's even that high.
0: Cause I, I, uh, I mean, I think Trey,
1: I love I Shay. Fre- she- Look, I, I love shade too. And I, I think, um, I, I thought Luca, Trey and Deandre established themselves as the top three rookies. Uh, I think regardless of context and, and situation and they just, you know, they were a cut above everyone else. and, they really Can I say, were. I don't think DeAndre you know, Ayton belong
0: there. I mean, there's it's rookie All NBA. I'm i I'm a DeAndre fan, so maybe
1: I'm biased. But I'm not a fan. Um, at all. I the,
0: like there's. I thought, a, he's like the definition of empty empty calorie guys. Like I I don't I watched a lot of Suns and I, I remember like the the Sun talks game just stands out to me where it was like oh my god this dude has no impact. Like there's a lot of Jaleel Okafor in him. I I don't know how to explain it. Like he's not going to be that bad, but there is a lot of jaw with uh, DeAndre Ayton. I'll say that.
1: No, I, I think that's a good point. Like, I, I would say I think he got better. Like, and, and you know, for, from seeing the, the Clippers-Suns games, like, he, he was pretty bad in, like, three of the four. Uh, and, you know, even to the point where they're benching him for Rashawn Holmes in, in a couple of them. So, like, I did get the bad DeAndre Ayton experience this season. But that being said, I, I thought he improved defensively throughout the year. Uh, And I think Zach Lowe wrote a little bit about it too, where, um, you know, like he he was a train wreck to start the season. And I think he got to the point where he looked like he had potential to be at least average, if not slightly above average, like not nowhere near a Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, Miles Turner level, but at least like a competent, like not Ennis Cantor level type defender. Um, And and I think the, the bigger difference with the biggest difference with him and, uh, Jaleel is. I just think he's more. He, he's in better shape. He's got a better body, and he's just more mobile and athletic than, than Jaleel. I think the Jaleel thing. I mean, we don't even need to get that comparison. But either way, you know, he 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 was close to unanimous. He wasn't. Like, you know, Trey and Luca were unanimous. He was close. But whether we can, you know, agree to disagree on on how good he is. But like, those three were the top three in voting. To me. Jaron Jackson and, and Marvin Bagley, while you know they they were drafted ahead of Shea, I think if you pulled GMs, coaches, players, whatever, most would take both of them over Shea. I just felt the body of work, you know, starting on a playoff team, really being the. I mean, I wrote, I wrote about this early, in the se- uh, you know, at the end of the season, like he really was the the only rookie to contribute to a playoff team all season, like he had. Roddy Couric, who came on the second half of the season with with uh, Brooklyn. You had Landry Shamet, who was coming off the bench in Philly and then started starting with, with the Clippers in the second half of the year. But, like, Shea was the guy from, you know, from game 10, starting, uh, you know, playing 20, 25 to 28 minutes. And he had to earn it. And, you know, it wasn't – a lot of these guys walked into situations where it's like, you know, Trey Young, you're our starting point guard. You're our franchise guy. Go play 30 to 35 minutes. Get, you know, I I saw, you know, a couple of his games where he had double digit turnovers. Like, go do whatever the hell you want. You're not going to get benched. And, you know, and, and now I don't follow those teams as closely. So maybe there were instances in which he got benched. But Shea was benched for 19 fourth quarters. There were 19 games he just did not play in the fourth because Doc did not have the confidence and trust in him. And they couldn't afford to play him because he couldn't, you know, learn through his mistakes and develop through his mistakes like most lottery picks can. So I just think the context of him starting and contributing to a playoff team, if you look at their statistics, they're very close. Like Bagley and Jackson are a little bit better, but the advanced numbers, the counting, like just regular numbers, everything's very close. And then you just factor in games played. He played over 20 games, more than both of them, over 600 minutes, more than both of them. And his team won nine more than nine more games than Bagley's team and 15 more games than Jackson's team. To me, Shea should have been a first-team guy. Uh, I know some people disagree. The voting was pretty close, uh, so it wasn't like it was a landslide where he got like super snubbed, but uh, I did think he should have probably been on it over Bagley.
0: All right. Well, um, go read Yovan at The Athletic. Go subscribe if you are not already. Um Yovan, I will talk to you soon. And shout out to my roommate's dog, Kevin, the husky, that I don't know if you've heard in the background for the last thirty minutes, but he a little, opened... little bit. A little okay, bit. yeah, he opened the door. Uh, somehow he opened my door, and has just been. Oh, there it is! Great, thanks, Kevin. Um, that we got to wrap up here. He's going to lose his mind, and I'm going to lose my mind listening to this husky whine. So always keep it professional on this podcast. Thank you, as always, sir. And I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing i'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer uh thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon thanks guys